ba 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 ba. You know what that is? Oh, that's the bird of salesmanship, my friend. Friendship, yes, but salesmanship too. That means Fat Kev Smith gonna try to sell you something right now, man. Oh, but I'm like a smooth. Ain't gonna hurt. It's feeling good. <laughs> um, hey man, guess what this week is? <laughs> I was getting way too into that. Um, it is Comic Con, bitches. This is the beginning of the geek year. You know, the start of the geek year, uh, for me, the calendar year begins in July because that's when Comic Con happens. Um, at San Diego Comic Con, I'm talking about Comic Con International at San Diego. Call it what you will. I call it Comic Con. People say it's not about communists, it's about comics. Say back the fuck off. Um, but I'm here to right now. I want to let you know some dates, man. Uh, what I'm going to be doing at Comic Con, where you can spy me, where you can see me, where you can lay your ears on me and stuff, and where you can hear us uh, record some uh, Smodco podcasts, like the one you're about to listen to for free. Okay, man. Comic Kev 2012. Thank you. Very cute. Comic Kev 2012, man, begins on. Uh, let's see for you guys. Friday. Friday, uh, uh, if, if you tune in, if you, even if you're not here, here's a free taste, man. You don't even have to be at Comic Con for this, man. Uh, tune in to Spike, 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific. They're going to do Comic Con All Access Live. And I'm going to be co-moderating the bonus round with Game Trailers guy, Jeff Keighley. So, uh, that'll be 4 p.m. Eastern, 1 p.m. Pacific on Spike, Comic Con All Access Live coverage. You don't even need to be at Comic Con for that one. But if you are at Comic Con on Friday, let me let me tell you something, my friend. You want to get to the extra at Comic-Con stage. Awkward name. Excellent concept. Um, we're going to be doing Fat Man on Batman Live. Uh, Bruce Tim, bitches. I'm going to finally sit down with the guy who drew the animated DCU, the look of the animated DCU, the Batman, uh, the the Joker, the... The Harley that we've been talking about all this time that Paul Dini's told us about that, uh, all uh, the bad girl that Tara Strong told us about. We're going to meet the man, man, the talent that, uh, actually brought it to life. Cause it's not just voices, members, pictures, cartoons. And Bruce Tim is the master. And we're going to talk to him at 7 p.m. at night at the extra at Comic Con stage now. And I'm, we'll be doing it steps away from the Bat Cave. They're going to set up all six fucking Batmobiles on display. So if you don't want to look at Fat Kev Smith, look to the right. Ba-bang. Fucking Tumblr. My fucking Batmobile from the, from the Adam West Bill Dozier Batman. All the Batmobiles, man, on display. And this is at the extra Comic Con stage, which they're building on at Bayfront Park. And that's between the con itself, the building that holds the con, um, at the convention center and the Hilton Bayfront Hotel. That's where they're building that stage. 7 p.m. at night. It's free as fuck. Come on out. Watch me record Fat Man on Batman, man. It's going to be a good time. Okay. That's Friday. But what about Saturday at Comic Con? Well, come see me moderate a panel or moderate, if you will, uh, for epics, epics originals, man. I'm going to sit down and talk to William Shatner. That's right. Bill Shatner, man. Captain Kirk. Uh, who I talked to last year uh, at the Con 4 Epics as well. But this year, we're also going to be talking to Roger Corman, indie film fucking icon Roger Corman, man, uh, who's got a, a new flick that he's done for, for Epics. Uh, 4.15 to 5.15, Room 6A, man, come see that. Two legends and a fat piece of shit sitting between them trying to make with the funny. Uh, if you can't make that, then you must stake out some real estate for my annual Q&A at Hall H, man. 
7.15, uh, it's supposed to start, but I may have to push. You know, things always uh, run a little bit late at Comic-Con sometimes. Not always, but it happens. Some fat jackass like me takes the stage. Man, I won't let it up. That's why they put me on last. They're very smart. Um, 7.15 is the schedule, but it could start as late as 7.45. And that goes to 9.15. That's just me answering, doing my Q&A, state of the smunion, if you will. Uh, I got lots to share with you, including uh, the debut of Smarcade. Get ready for that, because holy fuck, it's going to come out of nowhere like a goddamn ninja. Slice your throat, and fun blood going to pour out. All Soak yourself in, you're going to be like, oh, I can't believe I like this so much, even though your throat's good. Boy, that metaphor really fell apart. What I'm getting at, though, is uh, just this simple, man. That, that, the, the smartcade is going to blow your hair back. And you didn't even, we haven't been talking about it. Ken Plume, fucking secret weapon, man, has built something amazing. And anyway, we're going to talk about that there. We're going to talk about comic book men. I'm bringing a clip from the comic book men, uh, to who say hi to San Diego. Uh, we'll talk about spoilers. We'll talk about this thing me and Ralph got going on. We'll talk about anything you want to talk about. Future hit somebody. Um, uh, view askew comics. Uh, oh crap, the list goes on. Smodco, all the Smodco stuff. Uh, be there, Hall H, man, 7.15 to 7.30 ish. Ends about 9.15. It's very adult, so expect a lot of cock talk. Um, and jokes about Thor's fucking hammer. A lot of Avengers material, but you know, we'll be right near Dark Knight, man, so I might throw some Bane shit in there. In any event, after that, Hollywood Babylon returns to San Diego Comic Con. We're going to be playing at the House of Blues, uh, and that's at doors at 11 o'clock. Show starts at midnight. That's me and Ralph Garman, man, uh, doing an all geeky version of Hollywood Babylon. Tickets at csmod.com. That's the first thing I'm throwing at you that, uh, you know, I'm saying, hey, you might have to pony up. You're definitely going to have to pony up, man. I ain't going to let you in for free. Tickets at csmod.com, S-E-E-S-M-O-D, uh, for Hollywood Babylon. At the House of Blues on Saturday at midnight. Doors open at 11. Okay. What if uh, you're even awake by 1 p.m. on Sunday? Then you want to roll up to room 6BCF at Comic-Con. And uh, you can watch me moderate the DC Nation screening and Q&A. They're going to be showing you all sorts of clips from the DC Nation stuff uh, they're doing over at the Cartoon Network. And um, I'm gonna I'm gonna introduce you to some cats and moderate and, and chit chat about the fucking eye pussy we're gonna see up on that screen. Now I don't know if you've seen any of this DC Nation stuff, but it's what we dreamed about forever when I was a kid. Like, oh, if only they would just use their stable of stars and make little cartoons and shit. They're doing it. The future is now. We're living in the Jetsons world. So there it is, man. That's my entire Comic Con schedule uh, as I know it. Check me out there uh, for for uh, any other information. Go to csmod.com for tickets, for Q&As and whatnot. The only thing on that list you need a ticket for, though, is Hollywood Babylon, as I said, on Saturday at midnight. Um, but go to smodcast.com, man, and check out uh, the new homepage. Lots of information there, and it's great portal, if you will, take you everywhere in the Smodco universe. Dropping this week podcast-wise, me and Moj doing Smodcast uh, uh, tonight, so that means you can... Hear it at any point this week. Uh, brand new Fat Man on Batman is going up uh, with a special guest, Walt Flanagan. Um, also this week, the first part of uh, Smoothie Maker's Penny Marshall interview, and it's fucking, it's orgasmic. Oh, fuck, it's good. 
So that's what you can look forward to. Don't forget all the shows on, on sit updated every damn day. Go to YouTube slash CSMOD. Watch all that stuff, man. Uh, for the podcast, go to smodcast.com. Look, go to smodcast.com. It'll direct you anywhere you want to go. There it is, man. I'm done, Horn. Without further ado, another fine Smodco podcast uh, for your listening pleasure. This is Kelly Carlin, and welcome to Waking from the American Dream. If you take the train with me uptown through the misery of ghetto streets in morning light, they're always night. Take a window seat, put down your times. You can read between the lines, just meet the faces that you meet.
Hey, everyone. That was uh, Give a Damn by uh, Spanky and her gang. Uh, as you know, good friends of the family, uh, the uh, Carlin family, Spanky McFarlane from the 60s. Check them out if you don't know them. They are just uh, fantastic, fantastic singers, songwriters, great artists, soulful people. And Spanky is back at it, uh, touring and doing stuff and, uh, you know, being Spanky. Uh, if uh, if you want, you can check out the archive. I did a whole show with them a couple months ago, I guess that was. It was really fun. And then we had a big party here and sang all night long. It was very cool. So hello, everyone. I have no idea the last time I did this podcast. <laughs> it has been so long. I apologize to all of my faithful and loyal listeners and uh, downloaders. I've been... Uh, you know, I, I, uh, you know, this thing, I, this saying, this poly mind, you know, the people call it polymath, you know, just many minds and, and many, many paths. And, um, and I am, I'm one of those people who gets bored with something and not that I get bored with it and never want to come back to it, but I just, I need a different type of stimulation. And so I have like, God, I think I have like four major things going on in my life right now. And, um, and I just get overwhelmed. And I wish I could sit down and pre record these podcasts for you. But if I'm not here Thursday at 5pm Pacific time, uh, I don't do it. So I've been on the road, I've been actually in the UK. For uh, I was there almost uh, two and a half weeks. I was in Scotland for 10 days, um, seven of which it rained. And I know you're saying, well, you're in Scotland, you should expect the rain. But you know what, I was staying in an area called Perthshire. And I've been there many, many times. And normally when I'm there, it rains a little bit. And then the sun comes out and we play golf and we are, you know, outside and it's gorgeous and it's sunny and all of that stuff. And um and this time we got like two and a half days of sun. And um, even though we were staying in a gorgeous house on a gorgeous estate, uh, it just, you know, it was just, you want to get out and do stuff. Um, so I did a lot of reading and a lot of jigsaw puzzling, which was actually really nice because I completely unplugged from my life. I didn't think about writing, performing, uh, podcasting, radio shows. I didn't think about America. I mean, you people could have like fallen off the fucking face of the earth and I would have been fine with it because I was on a 40-acre estate in Scotland eating sticky toffee pudding. So I gained eight pounds. Uh, when I got home, I got on the scale and I had gained eight pounds. So after my 10 days in Scotland, um, uh, Paul Provenza and his producing partner, Barbara Roman, they are doing uh, uh, tapings of a uh, this show called Set List that some of you may know about, and uh, they're doing it for a UK audience, and uh, they were in London. And so they came up to Scotland for a few days, and they're like, oh, you should just change your ticket and come to London for the week. We have a flat for you to stay in. Oh, gee, I don't know. Twist my fucking arm. Okay. 
So my husband and my friends went home, and uh, I, I parted with them in the middle of Heathrow Airport between Terminal 1 and Terminal 3 is where the tube station is. I'm like, bye. And they're like, bye. And they went off to the upper class uh, Virgin Atlantic Lounge and got shit-faced. And my husband got upgraded into upper class, which was very cool. Uh, and then I got on the tube and rode like the locals, you know, into town and got off and walked into a neighborhood and uh, got to spend uh, seven days in London. Thank God the weather was nicer there and got to see amazing UK comics. Um, Andrew Maxwell and this woman named Josie Long. You people must check out Josie Long. Barbara's like, you're going to love Josie Long. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I'm like, literally, I have a crush on this woman. And I told her that too. <laughs> She's amazing. She's so willing to be vulnerable on stage. It's so beautiful. It's, I'm really getting that female comics who are doing something different right now are ones who are willing to, I mean, men are, you know, willing to show their underside and, you know, and make fun of themselves on stage and stuff. But there's something about the vulnerability of the feminine on stage. And, you know, you think of like Maria Bamford and how, oh my God, how willing she is to strip off any veneer of uh, sanity even at some points. And, uh, and so Josie Long, too, just really willing to be vulnerable on stage and uh, and just kind of let us watch her think in the moment. It's really an incredible lesson in how to trust yourself as an artist on stage and know that if you're really connected to yourself, the audience will connect with you, too. Uh, so she's, she's astounding. So London was amazing. Um, and I've now been back, I think, I don't know, a week, maybe. And I'm still strangely jet lagged. It's all very weird. I was fine. I mean, I'm like, fine, I'm going to sleep at a normal time. And I'm waking up at a normal time. But I get these like periods in the day where literally, I feel like I'm like in molasses. And I normally up till 1am. I'm just a night owl naturally. And I, I, I go to bed at 1030, like a good girl. And I'm up, my husband's sound asleep. But lately, I've been going to bed at nine. And like, literally, the dogs woke me up the other night. I'm like, Jesus Christ must be the middle of the night. It was 1045. I was like, I've never been woken up in the middle of the night. And it's 1045. I don't think even when I was a child that even happened to me. So that's where I'm at right now. And also very excited because next week, uh, going up to San Francisco, and we're shooting two more set list tapings up at the Throckmorton in Mill Valley. And uh, if you follow me on Twitter, I'll be um, tweeting a link to uh, a reservations uh, list if you're up in the Bay Area and want to come check out Setlist. And by the way, Setlist is setlistshow.com. Check it out. It's improvised stand-up. They call it stand out, stand out, Stand Up Without a Net. There's a lot of prepositions in that, and I'm clearly not up to prepositions today. Um, so today is a unique day. I do not have a guest. I had no time to plan a guest, to uh, to work on uh, organizing my show today, and I thought, okay, fuck it. Let's do something different, and I've been wanting to do something different with the show anyway. I've been feeling like um, when I started the show, I was kind of feeding the – you know, need to have a celebrity in and, and, and that's all well and good. Love the celebrities, love my comedian friends, love them all. But there's a whole other part of me that 
Uh, I think it's glimpsed at at this show, you know, and it's kind of the part where I like to have these deep conversations and, and talk about kind of deeper things. But it's really been coming alive for me lately. And I, I feel like after four years of grieving my dad's death that I'm kind of reconnecting with who I was right before my dad died. And and a lot of that has to do with um, being uh, in, in the creative coaching world, uh, doing leadership, doing workshops, stuff like that. And I don't know how I'm going to integrate it into the life I have, but I know I can do it through conversation and and just talk about what's important to me and what I ponder all day. I ponder a lot of shit. This fucking Carlin brain. I mean, you know, I don't have the impetus to get on stage and show the world that I'm funny. But man, like my dad and my uncle and my grandmother and my grandfather on all that Carlin side of the family and my cousin Dennis, too. Uh, I have an endless fucking brain. It just <laughs> goes on and on and on. I'm thinking about shit all day long. And I'm sure many of you are too. And uh, so I feel grateful that I have an outlet. So here, here's my outlet. And um, and so I wanted to talk a little – got two kind of major topics that I want to talk about today. And, um, and I have a call-in number. Oh, and I'm having a deja vu right now. Oh, that's so cool. Like, I swear to God, totally. Anyway, uh, but I've never done this before. So it is deja vu. Wait, is it real? No, wait. Is there, uh, the, the, where, where does that come from, that part of the brain? They say what happens is, is the present moment stimulus uh, gets channeled through memory part of your brain. And so you think it's actually a memory, but it's not. We know it's the present moment. So that's what they think deja vu is. I don't know. Someone call in and tell me I'm full of shit, please. Um so anyway, I, I kind of have two big topics today. So I thought I would ramble a little bit and then I'll play another song. We'll fill in some music and then um, I'll also give out the, the call-in thing. And I don't know – I have a call-in number. It's a Skype number. And of course, I was tweeting a lot last night and was getting into it with um, – about heckling and Daniel Tosh and my father and rape and – you know, all these really lovely light subject matters. So I know a lot of people are uh, chomping at the bit to talk to me, but we're not going to talk about the heckling thing first. You're just going to have to deal with that. Uh, but I don't know how this is going to work. I don't know if you call and it's someone else is on. It's busy. I don't have call waiting. I don't have a switchboard. I have Logan here who's sitting here who's helping me as always run the board. Logan, say hello to everyone today. Hello. That is Logan. And he'll be here. Uh, we'll be trying to deal with all of this with me. And uh, so we're just going to experiment. And it could go all wrong, and the show could be 10 minutes long. Well, it's actually we've already gone 13 minutes, so it could be. 20. Another 10, maybe. <laughs> we'll fill it in with something. I don't know how to tap dance. And plus, tap dancing on the radio just doesn't work. Either does macrame, actually. Both of them require kind of a visual engagement yeah. to really keep your attention. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's not right really the right medium for tap dancing or macrame. No, no. Yeah. Okay. So those are out. See, this is why I do not program radio stations, clearly. Uh, so um, the other topic I want to talk about today, though, is self-worth. And oh, it's a big, huge, broad, strange topic. But I've been grappling with my own self-worth lately. So um, I think what we'll do is we'll play another song. And uh, and then when we come back, I'll talk a little bit about self-worth. And, uh, and I'll give out the call-in number. And someone can call up and we'll talk. And I'll get to talk to some of the people I love and adore on Twitter and Facebook, but actually never get to talk to them in, in kind of, you know, voice-like and, uh, and all of that. So um, let's see. Let's go with something a little fun here. Uh, I know what we'll do. We'll go up with uh, a little. Uh, ooh, we'll go up with a little, uh, a little, a little, a little fun dancing here, 
and uh, oh, I don't know what the hell I'm looking here. I'm looking maybe a Tin Pan Band, uh, a little something up beat like that. Well, let me just look up my little thing here. Oh, why isn't it going up? Okay, we're just going to do Shake That Thing. You guys all know and love this. Oh, someone's calling. <laughs> you can't call yet. I'm going to call us, play a song. Bye. Happy 
That was Tin Pan Band with Shake That Thing, you know, which I think is a good way to move right into self-esteem. No, not self-esteem. not talking about that, but self-worth. So here's what I've been grappling with lately. And it's and I think it has to do with the fact that I don't like many of us out there. None of us feel like we really, really fit in. And um, the problem with that is that, you know, the kind of um, worth that we have that we think we're supposed to have in our culture is the worth that our culture tells us to have. And so I have what they call, you know, like the good girl syndrome. I know how to be a good girl. I know what that list looks like. And, and, and part of that had to do with, you know, being good in school, you know, that I knew I've had a, got a lot of worth from getting straight A's and always being the smartest one in class and the quickest and, you know, getting that 99 or that 100 on a test. So I, I that was easy. And I knew the parameters of it. I knew how to study for it. You know, and there were a lot of people who, who didn't have that for, you know, for school, but they had it in other ways, maybe athletics or, or whatever it was. And, and then I was thinking about even like, with, within my family or within any of our families, you know, we're all kind of trained by our families, regardless of what our families say out loud. <laughs> we're trained to be certain people. And for me, I was trained to not talk about what was really going on in the room because it was crazy alcoholic drug stuff, you know, and to just be quiet and to be the diplomat. And, and I was always focused on the environment being an only child and, and growing up, you know, what they call the adult child alcoholic syndrome. I was a focus on the environment, trying to make it better, trying to manage it trying to check out how my parents were doing. Are they in a good mood today? Are they in a bad mood? Are they going to argue? Has dad done coke? Has mom done Valium? What is going on? And um, and what happened is that uh, we, uh, um, I was trained to focus on the environment. So I got my worth from knowing how to read the environment and how to serve the environment. But that never helped me really connect to myself and figure out what is it that I want to do. You know, I look at people who at an early age knew what they wanted to do and knew how to go for it at an early age. And I'm always in awe of it. <laughs> Truly, Like, I just didn't have that in me. I, I'm 49 years old now. And I'm so here's what I'm grappling with at 49 years old. I know, I think I know what I'm good at now. I do know what I'm good at. And I know, and I'm starting to figure out what brings me joy. And, and yet there's that kind of gap between what I'm good at, what I feel is worthwhile that I bring to the table, and how to make that manifest into something out there in the world where I can pay my mortgage <laughs> and my health insurance and build something. It's not just about, I don't need to have a lot of things. I mean, I had things my whole life. I know what that's like. It's, it doesn't work. 
But yes, we want some things. But you know, how do you build towards something? So I've just been grappling with. Um, oh, I did. I think I figured out how to put on hold. Um, I've been grappling with this whole idea of like, how do you identify what your like what aspects of yourself are worthy? Your internal aspects and your talents and skills and and. And is it always about other people telling you what you're worth, therefore through what they pay you or what they say to you? Or does it come a time where you actually do know what you're worth? And I see people all the time who act like they know what they're worth. So I just I want to learn a little bit today from people who who know how to do this already and know how to ask for a raise and ask for what they want out in the marketplace and ask for what they want in relationships. And for those people who are also struggling with it the way I struggle with it, or in different ways, however you're struggling with it, I just want to hear from you. So um, my call-in number is um, 323-473-3112. But I think I have a caller here, and because I'm not quite sure exactly what I'm doing, you're just going to have to deal with me fumbling with this today. So here we go. We're going to try this. Hold on here. Hello, are you there? Hello, hello, hello? Hello? Who's this? Oh, hello. Who's this? Hey, it's Jeff. Hey, Jeff. You called back. Excellent. Thank uh, you. Yeah, yeah. I got knocked. Uh, something happened. I got bumped off. I know that's Skype. <clears throat> Typical Skype. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. So, Jeff, where <laughs> I, are you where are you calling from? Uh, I'm in Burbank, actually. Right oh, you're in Burbank. Uh, do uh, and and do we? I know you from Twitter or Facebook, or do we know each other? Which which, which Jeff are you? <laughs> I'm Jeff Craig. I'm the uh, the Canadian writer. We met at Vicky's. Oh, Jeff Craig. Oh, it's Jeff. Hey. Yeah. Thanks yeah. for calling in. Are you? Can you hear me now? My um. Can you hear the feed? Okay, in Burbank. Uh, no, I can't. I can't find it. Oh, um, weird. Don't know what's going um, on. Hmm. No, it's um. There's uh. Smodcast channels waking from the American Dream feed. Yeah, just shows your your last the at the very top of the page is your last show on June seventh. What if you just go to smodcast dot com? Uh, I just see Kevin Smith. <laughs> so there's no live there's no live player popping up for you. No. Nope. Okay. All right. Well, that doesn't matter. We'll figure it out in a minute. Um. So hey. you're calling in. What do you want to? What did you want to talk about? Oh, I've just, um, you know, I've, I've loved listening to your shows, um, but this this one I found particularly um, compelling. Um, <clears throat> yeah, both uh, the, uh, the 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 uh, sense of self worth and, and and that sort of thing, and identifying ourselves by what we do, which of course, as a uh, author and film director, I do. Um, mm-hmm. it, it's why I'm I've got Jeff, and there's also J. Marshall Craig, which is kind of weird, but. Um, <clears throat> But also uh, very compelled about what you were saying about um, hecklers, as I as I wrote you on on Facebook, mm-hmm. um, and uh, and then the heat I'm taking for my my latest book. Yeah, um, that's that's right. So tell tell the audience a little bit about who what you've written before and who you are and and kind of what this new sure. project is. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, sure. Um. <clears throat> It's uh, uh, the the I've, I've written a, a number of, of memoirs. Um, uh, Eric Burden uh, and, and I did a, a book on the Rolling uh, Rolling Stones and, um, and a hip hop producer, uh, Demiza, uh, who worked with um, uh, Mariah Carey and put uh, Snoop and Dre back together. All this this sort of thing, which was kind of stepping out of <clears throat> out of my comfort zone. But um, but the latest book uh, I did was truly stepping out of my comfort zone, and it was. Um, Doing the memoirs of John Rocker, uh, and I'm I'm not a sports fan 
Um, I'm so not a sports fan that indeed I'd never seen a baseball game in my life until I, I met John. He's a, a former star uh, a pitcher for the Atlanta Braves, um, and uh, I'd never heard of him. I'd never, and truly, I'd never seen a baseball game in my life. Um, but he, he got himself. Oh, hold on. It's it's typical Skype too. Are you there, Jeff? Oh, <laughs> oh wait, wait, wait. He's a real wait. right, real. Oh, he's. Oh, we're losing you. We lost you, Jeff. That's a bummer. Yes. Oh, no, I'm here. Oh, there you are. I know, but we no, we couldn't hear, hear you for a second yeah. there. So, so, so you were about to you were just oh. about to describe him. He's a real right Sorry. wing. Uh, yeah, he's um, he, listen. He's 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 a kid from Statesboro, Georgia, <laughs> and he went to high school in in Macon. And I, I've spent a lot of time in the South, and this you know, and and I love parts of it. Um, uh, but just imagine, you know, this. this Kid who's in his last year of high school, and from from Statesboro, Georgia, gets signed to the Atlanta Braves. I mm-hmm. mean, that's mm-hmm. many little boys' dreams. Yep. And and he finds him, you know, and where he grew up, and he finds himself on the A train in Harlem, <laughs> <laughs> playing against the Yankees, and he's sitting beside a kid with, um, you know, a mo a blue or a purple mohawk, and you know, just. Complete, you know, he was not prepared for that, and and he gave an interview to Sports Illustrated. He uh, reporters spent a weekend with him in Atlanta, and they were driving around and going to bars and strip clubs. And um, let's face it, any if if you and uh, you and I were together for a, a weekend, one of us would say something really stupid. If you put any two people together for a weekend, somebody's going to say something stupid. In his case, it was all on the record, oh. and so he. So he got, yeah, he did say some really stupid things, but he, you know, he, he got burned and, you know, I'm, I, I think I was the perfect person to write his book because I'm, <laughs> I didn't know who he was. I'm not a sports fan. <clears throat> um, so actually, you, so you were just here to serve his story and help him tell his story. Give give him a voice because, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a left wing I'm about as left wing as it gets, and I'm not American. I'm an uh, I'm an immigrant. I've been in California for many years, but um, I, I and that's why I I just thought this guy got burned, and he's not. Nobody's giving him a voice. Nobody's giving him a chance. And <clears throat> what disturbs me is that, um, as I told you privately, uh, I've, I've I've lost some what what I thought were friends, uh, some, some famous people mm. um, in in my life that I've I've worked with in the past um, have completely rebelled and they've, they've gone public against me um, for for having given John a voice and I find that so disturbing that that liberal people now <clears throat> um, are rebelling against the the whole just the idea of expression. I think that gets to what you were saying about hecklers too. Um, I mean, your 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 dad was brilliant about hecklers. He was probably that. I mean, he, he he destroyed that guy in Washington. There's a YouTube I, video. I'm sure you've seen it. I, yes, I have. I um, have. And, and and it you know and oh. and it you know and 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 as a as a kind, compassionate human being, when he does that, it would always make me cringe. And yet. You know, uh, you know. Uh, so you know, we'll get into that later. But but I want to connect this to what you're talking about, which is, um, 
that there's some intolerance going on in a community that you felt was all about tolerance, what you're calling exactly. the left wing, and that they are upset with you because you gave someone who I don't know was he a racist, a misogynist? I don't mm. I don't know his story. I don't know what he what he mm. said. Um, but they feel that he shouldn't be allowed to um, to tell his story. And so I'm I'm wondering, like for yourself, even. You know, because we all have a line that we're willing to draw for um, for people that are that we think are probably dangerous for our culture right. or shouldn't have a voice. You know, where is that? Where is that line for you? Well, to, to, to be honest with you, um, I, I thought it was um, not doing John's book. I thought that was my line, but mm. Um, mm. but but friends of mine, and to be honest, even my mother said, you know what. Uh, you know, you're you're a good judge of character. Go to Atlanta, just meet, have lunch with them, mm. and meet them, meet them, and and make your own decision. Right. Because uh, you know, I go- I googled him, and I was horrified at some of the stuff he said. Right. But but then I, I I did. I flew to Atlanta. I met with him, and he's he's a sweet man. He's very nice, and he's and I've you know, <clears throat> I spent nearly a year writing the book back and forth. So I, I've spent a lot of time with him, and in public, <clears throat> and. After the book came out, we did book signings and, and some celebrity junk in, in Atlanta and in the area. And I've seen him interact with the public. And he's uh, and it doesn't matter who he's interacting with. He's a very kind man. He's very, very respectful. And he, you know, he just I, <clears throat> so, I, like I, I've said in, I, I said in the interview actually that was published yesterday, um, a, a print interview I did um, that had had. The interview that sunk him, that made him a pariah. Right. Had that had had that been a television interview? Yes. It it, it wouldn't have hurt him. People would have gotten that. You know, <laughs> they would have seen that. They would have seen the context it, of who he was, and yeah, he's yeah, a seen kid the, from rural Georgia, and he, he right. likes to say stuff to to get a rise out of people. So um, so what I'm hearing, what I'm really understanding about this is two different things: um, the, the tolerance things, which we talked about, but also that everyone says stupid shit. <laughs> And that um, at at what point are we allowed to say stupid shit and then go, oh, shit, I said stupid shit. I apologize for saying stupid shit. And then we kind of wipe the slate clean and let someone move on with their life. That's Uh, what's missing. Yeah. Actually, Kelly, that's exactly what's missing is, is, um, you know, the the book actually came out in December and we're just starting to get some, some press and people are starting to. I've been doing interviews recently. What's the name of your book, so our so our listeners can know? Uh, it's called um, "Scars and Strikes." Great. Which I thought was kind of clever. It is definitely. <laughs> but, but anyway, but I, you know, I think it's a good book, and he um, and he does apologize. He's always apologized for, yeah. for what he said, but but he's 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 given no context, and um, <clears throat> there's there's something about. Um, there is a level of unforgiveness right now. Yeah, um, yeah, it's and, and, interesting. And, and, and as and, and as you've pointed out, I mean, I mean, look at um, um, <clears throat> I mean, what happened to Michael Richards? Yeah, uh, if, he's, if, you actually, if, if you actually, I mean, he's he's, uh, you probably know him too. He's he's a, he's a, a really wonderful man and is very very kind. Yeah, and um, and everyone but, but said you, it was very much out of his character to do that. So yeah, uh, yeah, it was. But you watch that video uh, on YouTube. I mean, he. He he got pushed to the point that he just totally lost his temper, and yeah. I, 
And the first time I saw it, I I thought, you know what? <laughs> I I wouldn't personally have gone that way, but I, I would have lost I, I would have lost my temper too. Yeah, yeah. And, and I and I would have gotten mean. And God knows we've all lost our temper in in the privacy of our home with our loved ones, sure. whether it's our parents, our children, or our wives or husbands, and said, I mean, oh, said stuff that we really deny or not denied, really, uh, you know, regret in the end. Um, so, but you know what? Thank you, Jeff, for calling. This is great. I think we've got some great points that we're starting to make here, and um, and I really, really appreciate you calling. And oh, uh, and I'm sorry to hear that your your community, part of your community, is has you know is treating you like a pariah now. But um, you know, maybe well, maybe this talk about forgiveness is really an important one, and. Uh, and I think it is an important one, and and, and what tol- and what tolerance means, and um, uh, you know, it's it's all, it's all big, important stuff, and it it kind of hits us in these kind of sensitive, vulnerable places. Well, I think we, uh, I mean, ultimately, just to, to finish up, and thank you, Kelly. Um, I, I I think the what's what's happening is people are are coming to realize that they generally people don't have a voice. Yes. And I think that's where the heckling is cuz the heckling's coming from yeah. is there's a there's a there's a, a a bit of envy that there's somebody on stage with a microphone yep. and and whomever it is in the audience doesn't have and will never have a microphone. Yep. Um and and we live <laughs> we live it under this pretense that we all have a voice. Yep. And we can all we can all vote, we can all yep. and, you and, know, and it, we're seeing that we don't. So, yeah, I, I agree. No, this is definitely part, 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 part of, I think, what's going on. And it's, yeah, a, it's, it's something I even, I even talked about on Facebook last night. So, well, thank yeah. you, Jeff. Well, Th- thank Thanks, you, Kelly. J. Craig Marshall. <laughs> also. Thank you. And good luck with your book. And uh, thanks for calling. We'll talk later. Okay. Thanks, Kelly. Bye. You're Bye. welcome. Bye. So that was uh, my friend Jeff from um, Burbank, and he made some great points. And uh, someone else is calling, been persistently calling. Hello, who's this? Oh, hi. It's a friend, Dujim. It's friend, Du. What's your name? Friend, Du. Friend, Du? Yes. What kind of name? What kind of name is that? That's an interesting name. Uh, I don't know. It's just a name. <laughs> <laughs> my, yeah, and my my Twitter is at friendudrim. Okay, all right. So H-E-M. you don't remember me at all. I don't. No, no, no. No, no, no. But yeah, you know, it's amazing that I'm talking to you. It's just like so amazing. I tried and I tried. I said, oh, I'm not going to make it. I'm going to just just about to go. You're there. You, I'm, I'm actually talking to you, and you were in England. You came too early from England, there eh, because they're having the Olympics there. I so know. I'm, Thank God I, I left before the Olympics because it was going to get crazy. <laughs> trust me. The guns were going to oh, get on yeah. top of the guns were going to come on top of the uh, the roofs and stuff like that. So, uh, so, uh, so, what are you calling about today? Are you calling about the topic of self worth or hecklers? Uh, what's what interests you? Well, let's say. Um, uh, Look, I I do um, I, I started I, I do a lot of stories. I do a stories, and people tell me not to do them because it's like the case of death for for comics for stand up comedy. Uh huh. And I I don't really believe that because I like my stories, so I I'm, I want to put them out there. And are they so fu- are I, they funny stories? Well, well, they are they are real life stuff. Uh huh. They, uh, I mean, well, I, I, 
I get people laughing. Yes. But what, I, what I'm missing, what I'm missing is like, because when I see the comics doing it, they like, you know, every half a minute, boom, people are laughing. Yes. Those are the comics that are good. Yes. So every half a minute, I got to have people laughing. Right. And my stories, well, maybe every minute and a half, every every minute I get a laughter. I don't, you know, so I I want to come out with this joke and I cannot do one-liners. It's just like, nah. Well, you know, maybe 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 you're you're going to the wrong type of venues. I mean, there's plenty of uh, great storytelling venues out there, and uh, and also there's you know clubs where the alternative comedy stuff uh, happens, which yeah. is much more about storytelling, and it's not that comedy club, you know, set up punchline, set up punchline type of thing. Um, have you ever had any hecklers? How do you deal with them? Uh, hecklers? Yeah. Yeah. I have, yeah, I, I, I do run into hecklers, and um, I, I just deal with, I, I talk to them. And how? I, and I just how, talk to them, and, and whenever they say something back, then I just take that on. And do, and, do they shut up and, eventually? And <laughs> no, they, they do. They do. Uh, you know, a couple of words, and then they're like, oh, yeah, kind of like I put attention to them, and they're satisfied. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's what it seems to be. And and so, that, what do you think? What is your position about comics and 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 some of the stuff that's been going down with comedians and how they've dealt with hecklers in kind of a harsh, uh, certainly what some well, would call politically incorrect well, way. Um. Uh, okay. Look, like like people get on get on the mic, and if somebody's heckling them, they they could get real nasty and go, you know. F you and shut up and this is my mic and then it becomes a fight and that's a killer for your whole set. Mm. You're done. Mm. Mm. So I, I, you don't, you, you want to let them know that this is your time. If he wants to talk on the mic, I guess he should go to an open mic somewhere. Though, but you got to do that quick. You cannot, you cannot put attention to that person for more than like I don't know, ten seconds. Right, right, right. Other, otherwise, it, it or, kills the momentum. Or else I think that we should, like, redirect it or dissolve it into your own, your own set or make up a story with what's going on right there. I like to get on the mic and be very spontaneous. I'm, I mean, I, I I do that, like, constantly. Uh-huh. And maybe that, so, so that I, if some of the head is there, I'll, I kind of go with the flow. I kind of ask him. The bad thing, I think that the worst thing that can happen as far as I can see, is the heckler gets to you because they 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 say the key words, they <laughs> know the right sentence, and it gets you. Because we're humans, and we always have some. Yes. And, and oh, oh, this then t- oh. you might finish the set, you know, that you had that in your mind, and then you begin to feel bad about it. Mm-hmm. Then, then then you begin to doubt yourself. Maybe the guy was funnier when he said, ah, you know, he throws the line, and the people laugh, and you said nobody's laughing at. You know, and then you're like, oh, oh, and and that's the one that really gets you. That's the killer. Yeah. So then you got to go home and think about yourself, and 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 not, like you know, doubt. Doubt is the kind of thing that happens to me a lot. Yeah. Well, but absolutely. When doubt to come on. Yeah. It, it's when, it's a killer. Yeah. It's a killer, definitely. Yeah. So what do you th- what, what do you do? What do you do for doubt? Um, that's a, what, what okay, well, that's a great question. You know, because doubt's one of those things. I think that. 
um, is can be help, can be positive and negative. And, and here's what I think about it. I mean, obviously, the negative thing that doubt can do is it can start to completely undermine you and run your life and make you paralyzed, you know, keep you in your house, yeah. because all you're thinking about is all the things that could go wrong, or what I did do wrong. And, and it just undermines any sense of self and any momentum in your life. But I think a little dash of doubt every once in a while is important because I do think it keeps us on our toes and lets us check in with ourselves and see, hmm, am I on the right track? Um, it, you know, am I, am I as conscious as I can be in this situation or with this work or with this relationship? Um, you know, so I think, I think a small grain of it is, it goes very, very far. It's very potent. But I think in general, doubt is one of those emotions that, um, I don't know why we've been hardwired with it, like guilt. Guilt's another one. Shame is one thing. Shame is something if you've done something bad, you and you feel shame, that's fine. But guilt and doubt are two things that I think could really kill, kill the psyche. And and so what I do with my clients when they're filled with guilt or doubt or this kind of this endless repeating in their head of this kind of bullshit storyline about who they are and how they are a fuck up or whatever it is is I let them know that that storyline is actually a big fucking lie and that there's yeah. a, that there's another storyline inside of there that knows that it's a lie and to really let the doubt know that you've kind of got its number now and you're not going to let it run the show and every time it shows up you just say thank you for sharing and then you escort it out the door <laughs> you know like it's a nasty little it's like you know what it is it's like a relative that won't leave you know it's like they came for the weekend and they've now been here for three months it's that kind of thing it's like thank you for visiting but now you have to go back home here's your ticket <laughs> right and i right. and i think it's important to not buy into you know, to acknowledge that you made a mistake or whatever went down, went down, acknowledge the reality of a situation. That's always important. I'm not talking about bullshitting yourself, but then let it go. Beating yourself up about it over and over and over again does no one any good and will can completely undo uh, any sense of uh, certainly self-worth that you have. And yeah. Uh, so, so yeah, that's, that's what I do when I work with my clients and even myself, you know, I check in, okay, what's the reality? Do I have something to really feel bad about? Did I do something wrong? Do I need to apologize? Do I, whatever, do I need to rectify a situation? And if I do go and do that action and move on and cut myself some slack because we're, like you said, we're all human. Like my last caller yeah. said, we all do do and say the wrong thing. <laughs> mm. We're not perfect. And as long yeah. as we acknowledge our fallibility and admit it to mm. others and say, I'm human. And if you can't take that, I'm human. Well, bye-bye. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, I'm, I'm, the, the way I see it is I'm, I'm just the next guy. You know, I'm just the next John Doe. You do this and, you know, I'm just, I'm just like you. Yep. But when when it, when it comes to doubt and and uh, you know not not feeling worse or not feeling up to part, I, I what happens to me and the way I deal with this is I 
And, and this, this goes for every comic. I think the more you know yourself, the better the comic you become. And knowing yourself means that you put attention to when doubt begins to come inside you. Mm. There are certain words, there are certain feelings, there are certain thoughts. And when that starts coming up, then you start getting logical and get, oh, really? Well, I've done this, 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 and that that refutes that conclusion that I'm trying to get into my negative self. Yep. So, and, and then just break it down. Yep. Go see a friend. Yep. Um, yep. Go I, take I a walk. Have a drink right. With somebody. Yep. Go take a walk. Yeah. Go do something. Change your environment. Yeah. Agreed. Absolutely. Change your environment. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Frondu, for and, calling and, very much. Thank you. And love yourself. I will. And you love yourself too, darling. Okay. We'll see you on the I'll Twitter. To you. I will tweet. I like your tweets. Oh, thank you, thank sweetie. Thank you for being there. Oh. Thank you for being there, Kelly. Thank you for calling. I, 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 I really appreciate it. Thank you. Um, yeah, you know, I actually got a phone call today from a very, very, very famous comedian. Will not be mentioned here. And uh, he had an experience a few weeks ago at a kind of a big kind of event kind of a thing and didn't do as well as he thought. And has been for three weeks in this stout place. And so nobody's immune. <laughs> nobody's immune. Uh, look at this. I have another call. This is Fantastic. so exciting, Logan. People, you love me. Hey there. Who's this? Who's calling? Hi, this is Andrew Posner. Hi, Andrew Posner. Yes. Hi, Kelly Carlin. <laughs> hey, Andrew. It's Logan. How you doing? Did you hear Logan said hello Sorry, to? Someone say something? Logan. Uh, it's Logan. Hey, Andrew. I know oh, you from Twitter. Hey. Uh, hi to Logan from you, too. Yeah. Uh, he, he can probably hear me. He can. Uh, I can. <laughs> yeah. That's all right. He's How kind- are you? Hi. So, everyone, this is Andrew Posner. Uh, I'll just say a little bit about my history with Andrew. Uh, I met Andrew through uh, Facebook, uh, and he started showing up, uh, I think, uh, at the official George Carlin fan page. Um and Paul Provenza kind of adopted him, and then I adopted him too. And Andrew's a, a young uh, a young lad out in the world making and composing classical music, which uh, is an amazing thing in itself, and uh, has a great mind. So welcome to the show, Andrew. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. Um, well, before I start, thank you for having me. Um, I've, um, I've been really fortunate because my favorite podcasts, um, which are and internet radio streaming things, um, which include like you and um, Darren uh, Krobanis um, and Arden Atheist, have all been doing Colin shows recently. Um, so I've gotten a really good opportunity to get my voice heard on the um, internet and recorded certainly more than it should be. Um, <laughs> so I appreciate you doing this. And um, oh well, thank you. I also, also I have to say I love um, I love that last caller. He's so insightful. Yeah. He really was and, and really has been, you know, had some good, has been struggling with this clearly and yet really knew who he was and, and, and has, you know, kind of worked it out for himself. Mm-hmm. So yeah. what, what about you? Do you, um, you know, uh, how do you struggle with doubt and, and how do you deal with it? How, how have you learned to cope with it and, and move through it? Um, I'm not sure. I've, I've been completely extremely fortunate um all of my young life um to just to tell the listeners i'm 19 um and i'm going to be a sophomore in college um as johns hopkins um and so i've i have two wonderful parents who 
um, are just as crazy as um, all parents should be and mm-hmm. are. Um, and I was, I did really well in school, and everything went pretty well for me. So I don't think I had a whole lot of um, self-doubt. Um, and I'm also lucky enough to never really had to struggle with depression. Um, and so, I mean... I've there were there were plenty of times when I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do for the rest of my life, which is such a daunting question for. Um, I think I decided at like 16 that I wanted to be a musician and composer, um, but I I never I sort of always knew that I wanted to be some sort of creative person. Mm-hmm. Um, once once I sort of matured to the level where you can make that decision, um, I went through everyone's like, oh, I want to be a paleontologist, archaeologist, fireman, <laughs> policeman, um, and that got old um, pretty quickly. And then I've, I kind of stuck with um, a physicist for a while um, because I love science, um, but I realized, uh, like, I think the beginning of high school that although I love science dearly, I would hate to have to studied for a living and be responsible and, for and, not knowing everything. And do the math. I, I mean, I was a math person, yeah. and yet when I went to UCLA and thought about doing psychobiology and realized all the math I was going to have to do, I was like, fuck it, I'm not doing that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, um, I'm good at math, but I don't really enjoy it. Um, I had a good oppor- I had an opportunity um, as part of my like a joint degree sort of thing where mm. I could um, study recording arts um, which is just recording everything. Um, and it's it's sort of a really practical field um, to get into, but you have to take all these physics courses. And, mm-hmm. so, <laughs> that was a no. So, um, so do you struggle but, at all with, um, you know, uh, here you are studying music at John Hopkins and you're composing and uh, you're, you've decided to, to, to be a musician and a performer and a writer of music. Do you, you know, I mean, for me as an artist, what starts creeping into my head is, um, you know, I mean, I still am in awe that when I go to do my my solo show, A Carlin Home Companion, that someone pays me to do it. I mean, part of me is like, of course, you're going to pay me because that's what you do. But part of me is like, people pay people to do stuff like this. Like, I think I'm supposed to be like, for me, it's like, I only feel like I'm going to be a worthy citizen if I'm you know, putting chicken soup in a can in a factory somewhere. And I don't know where this thought comes from, but do does do you ever struggle with anything like that? Yeah, well, I, I think people being paid to be creative and being paid to do what they would like to do for their whole lives is at the same time the most wonderful and the most irresponsible thing in the world. <laughs> um, because they're... We, because, I mean, I'm, I'm just starting out as a composer, really, um... And, but I mean, for, as part of my college education, um, I kind of put together pieces and put together ensembles and present them at concerts and program them on the concerts. Um, and I do it all for free. And some of, and actually my performers get paid not by me, but by the department. Um, so really I'm the only one who doesn't get some money out of it. Um, but I've never really had a problem with it, um, partially because I think I'm going to have to get used to having little money. Um, but <laughs> Logan can talk about at this. Same, <laughs> <laughs> um, at the same time, it's just because I'm I'm fine not not getting paid for it. Um, yeah, and some of it, some of that arises um, from me not having a degree yet or 
not having been a creative type person for very long. Yes. My um, summer job um, here in uh, good old Pennsylvania, uh, where the roadkill have more life than people, um, <laughs> is as a traveling, um, wandering music teacher, um, going to the houses of uh, mostly elementary school age students um, and teaching clarinet, piano, saxophone, all that fun stuff. And I, I really, I'm, really, I'm picturing you jumping it. on and off trains to do that. I don't know why. It's something about the wandering bird. <laughs> but I'm guessing that's yeah. probably not true. No. Like, like those, like those old sad photos of like people in depression, like <laughs> yes. depression era, like yes. hopping on the back of trains, and I'm going off. I'll see you later. Hi, anyone need um, a clarinet yeah. lesson? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, yeah. I interrupted you. Um, <laughs> it's fine. Um, and so. Some of the problems, I, I have a little bit of doubt when I'm teaching um, because I, I charge very, I charge a very small amount of money um, for for my lessons um, compared to what sort of everyone else that's competing with me for students yes. does. Yes. Um, probably around like half to like a third. Um, and it's partially because I don't want to rob the parents out of their money and I know the economy isn't doing that fantastic and I want to sort of be a sort of be a, a good person in that I'm not trying to, to sell myself over what I really am. And that this is a, this is, um, this is an interesting point. It's also, Hold it's on also it. some Hold. sort of doubt because I don't have, I don't have the full qualifications that most people look for. Right. Um, in a music teacher, I just happen to, I'm good at the things that I teach and I consider myself to be a decent teacher. Um, so basically most of, most of any self-doubt that I've had um, with regards to where I'm going as a creative person or as a musician or all of that has been has been sort of in the back seat um, because I haven't had nearly as much experience as everyone I look up to, mm-hmm. um, both in, in the music world and the comedy world and everything like that. Right. Um, but it's also that it just hasn't really been a problem for me because I'm very pressed minded and I'm very focused on what I'm doing and how what my next goal is and how I'm going to get there. So yeah. I don't think it's been a really big problem for me. Well and, and I, I think being young helps also, you know, because you kind of know your beginning and, and it's all fresh and, and new for you. Yeah. But but I, I think there's a good point in there because you know, um, charging people for your services in that way. And, you know, I I'll just be curious to see when you get to a point where you suddenly feel like Okay, I'm ready to up the pay scale because I know that what I'm offering is actually worth more than I'm charging and people can afford it. It's not about ripping people off, but it is, it is this fine line. I mean, I, I encounter it all the time, um, with, uh, when I teach workshops and when I do my coaching. And it's, you know, it's like, because I love what I do. So it's like, yeah, I could do it for free, but that's not going to work. I have to pay the rent and things like that. And, and so learning about, you know, trying to figure out what it is that I bring to the table and, and what is it worth. And yes, I've got a master's in psychology, and I'm a certified person. I've had a lot of schooling and training. So I, I've got that under my belt, and I can charge more than someone who doesn't. Uh, but there are people who are, you know, you know, who are self-taught and, and ch- ch- you know, look at Tony Robbins, man, he didn't fucking get certified by anybody. And he charges $10,000 an hour, I think something like that. So it's, it's, it's such an interesting little game to play between the marketplace, what it's what it can afford, and what it how it sees what you're worth. 
and your own mind about how do I position myself in the marketplace? I mean, this is beyond self-worth of like, am I a good artist or do I know how to do my work? This is just the basic. How do we as people who do work that's not really tangible in some way, you know, that isn't about putting a chicken in a can in a factory, which you can see it at the end of the day, you know, how do how do we how do we encounter the marketplace and and make ourselves worth something, whether it's I'm bringing a song to the world or my show or I'm coaching someone through, uh, you know, a transition in their life. Um, I'm just fascinated by this question. It's like, who, how, how do we decide these things? How come, a, how come a song is a dollar twenty nine on on <laughs> iTunes? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so anyway, but so th- Andrew, thank you for calling, and um, just want to let you know, just so proud of you as your adopted mother, you know, and uh, <laughs> and always lovely to talk to you. And I'm so sorry you didn't make it to Tam. Um, you know, oh, okay. well, um, next year. I, yeah, I, I decided, um, that for a few reasons that it would be more responsible to go next year. Um, uh, good for you. Not, See, you've got a good well, head on your shoulders, of, young man. Yeah, you're going to be fine. Of, of course, part of the, re- part of the requirement for that is that, um, I come to your show at some point in the future. <laughs> um, so you have to hold that up on your part as okay. my adoptive All right. Mother. All right. I will do that. So I will do, I will do my part as your adopted mother. I will, I will hold up my, my end of the bargain. Uh, Andrew, it was great talking okay. to you and uh, you, have, talking to you too. Ha, have, have a, have a great after, have a great evening. It's nighttime there. Jesus. Wow. Thank, you. Thank you for having me. Bye. Yeah. So, wow. Um, so Andrew brought in a whole nother thing, which is this great position of youth that's like, you know, and he's known, I mean, he's kind of played with the idea of the fireman yeah. <laughs> or the paleontologist. No, yeah. Is it to be, I mean, I, I, I think he reminds me of me when I was 19 and being so aware of how fortunate you are mm-hmm. to be born in America with good parents and yeah. to have just that daunting feeling of knowing that something very soon is going to knock me on my ass <laughs> am i going to be able to handle that and and, and it's just oh, that it's interesting that uh that confidence that comes from like just default yeah like it hasn't but but the fact that you had the consciousness about how uh-huh. privileged you are oh yeah that's i mean there's a lot of privileged kids out there who are just ex- say, expected and absolutely. take it for granted you I, know? I went to school with them yeah yeah, um, yeah as i did too certainly yes. yeah yeah but yeah. It, it's a uh, uh, this has been a really interesting uh, series of conversations for people um that that want to be heard and it just it, it seems like everybody um uh, just wants so badly to to be perceived as fine that oh, that that's such that a great nobody, observation yes no like it's what it's this thing you I gave me like, like, you gave <laughs> kelly brought back from london this beautiful red <laughs> wallet for metro passes <laughs> with the classic keep calm and carry on which is the famous world war ii saying in london you know as the bombs and the blitz were falling down yes but and then you, they've added. You flip around and it says, now panic and freak out. <laughs> and that's kind of the, the thing, like, when you, you hear it all the time, and especially with Twitter, people are quoting people constantly. You just get all of these cliches, like, thrown at you nonstop, but the best ones stick. And it's the, like, just remember nobody else knows what they're doing either. Yes. And that's really, like, the duality of this keep calm and now panic. <laughs> yeah. You know, that was, like, the best advice my mother ever gave me was she told me, um, Everyone is is faking it. 
Yes. And when when she told me that, I was like, I mean, I you know, part of me didn't believe her at first and took me probably 20 years to really soak in and really get that. But um, everyone is faking it. There really is no manual out there. I thought there, everyone else got a manual. It always felt like everyone else got a manual and they just kind of missed my house or something. Yeah, or- just, you don't, you're the only one. It's like, <laughs> just trying, everybody else is going to figure out that I don't know what I'm, no. Yeah. It was like when I, I got to audit um, Jeffrey Tambor's class with you a couple times right. and he, he stressed like, you know, it was talking about acting, but it applied to mm, everything. Of course, it just life. This, it's a confidence game. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, but I kind of have trouble balancing a healthy amount of doubt with a destructive, destructive amount of doubt yes. with the this feeling that I tend to associate somebody with confidence as bullshit. Yeah. So it's how you can discern healthy confidence from just this you know what it's a it's a it's a fantastic point logan and i think that's why i hold up a lot of artists um and uh, like for me it's like frida kahlo and georgia o'keefe like two women like that who had such confidence in what they wanted to paint and they were so no one understood them at all and 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 easily they could have been seen as crazy and bullshit and 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 crazy whatever and yet um they believed in their vision of what they believed in and they had great confidence in it and they didn't give a shit what other people thought about so i struggle with this every day the okay I don't want to give a shit about what anyone thinks, and yet I'm like the most empathetic, compassionate person. How do I do that? <laughs> so it's such a such a struggle. If someone can help us out here, the number is three two three four seven three three one one two. I'm waiting for another caller. We would love to hear from you. Um, I can. Uh, I mean, I was just uh, w- once again on my Facebook page. My, you know, they have that new cover photo, the big long the thing. timeline, the timeline, yes, and the big cover photo. And on my private page, I have Georgia O'Keeffe this week painting behind me, and on my public page, I have Frida Kahlo sitting behind me, and she's in her full hair. You know, she's got her hair and her, her eyebrow, her unibrow, and then she's got this slight fucking mustache, and she's in this gorgeous dress and. She doesn't give a shit. She just doesn't give a shit. And I don't know. I I mean, I, I really feel like my mom said when she turned 50, she learned and she finally like it just happened. Like she just was like, oh, I don't give a shit what other people think about me anymore. And I'm thinking, really, you have to wait till 50 for that? Fuck, man. <laughs> and yet I think you do because – even my dad, I'm trying to think now when my dad started not giving a shit, and it was right around his 50th birthday. It was in the late 80s, so he he would have turned 50 in 1987, and it was in the late 80s when his stuff started to turn and he started to get bolder and bolder until he he did that um, Jammin' in New York show in 92. But he always talked about in 88 and in 90 when he did those other two shows, he really felt like he was gaining momentum in that. So I think there is something about middle age and getting like for me I just turned 49 and I tell people that I've I've done seven sevens because of that and then I realize that I've since I've done seven sevens I don't have seven sevens left to live I have three sevens four sevens maybe five sevens I mean with my genetics I doubt I have five sevens so I have less sevens to live than I've already lived there's something about not avoiding that reality and letting it sink into your body, even though it's terrifying knowing that you've got less time on this planet than you've lived, 
that really makes you go, oh, I've been wasting 86.4% of my energy every day on worrying about what other people are thinking about me. And the reality is, is A, how often do you think about what other what other people are doing? I don't think much about what other people are doing. We're all too narcissistic. Absolutely. We're all, we're all too busy thinking about what we're not <laughs> yes. doing. Yes. So who's really walking around thinking about me? Not a lot of people. Uh, of course, if I stir the shit on Facebook, a few people are, end up uh, coming back at me. But I don't think they're walking away going, oh, that fucking Kelly Carlin. She's she's okay with Daniel Tosh saying that rape thing. And that's not at no, all what I said. All, they're all going, I'm so right about Daniel Tosh and heckling. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Um, it's true. It's true. So I, I don't, I, you know, so I'm 49 now. I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to be, I, I don't want to be 50, but I, I'm excited to be 50 so I can finally not give a shit because, and I feel like it's like been like the last year. It's really kind of what I've been working on has been sitting here going, okay, how does this work not giving a shit what other people think about me? Like, and, and how do you, how do you fit in the compassion, empathy thing, you know, and, 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 I, you know, the other problem is that I'm one of those people that love multiple perspectives on things. I love hearing from the whole room. So how do you then decide, you know, to not be a rel- relativist? And, and how do you – and you know, it was like we were talking about with um, Jeff, the first caller. It's like how do you so- decide what is intolerable for a, a human behavior? You know, and there, there has to be a line for all of us, you know. I mean otherwise you get Hitler and Stalin. You know, you get people like that because you think, oh. Well, maybe the trains will run a little nicer or, you know, uh, you know, well, I'll keep my tenure at the academy. You know, they were uh, I was at a conference a few weeks ago, a leadership conference, and they were talking about how all the liberal academics at Berlin University were completely against Hitler and were terrified of him and as he was rising through power and wanted to speak against him and when we're speaking against him. But when the rubber met the road, they all wanted to keep their tenure and their jobs, and they all caved in. Wow. Yeah. And so I wonder, like, for all of us in this country right now, and I, and this is, you know, someone else brought this up. I think it was Jeff about, and I brought it up on, on Facebook last night, you know, this feeling that none of us really have a voice. We have no power in this country anymore. We, and we have more power in this country than most people have in, in most countries because we do – have the right to vote and we do have the right to protest as much as the New York PD will let us right. <laughs> as we're seeing uh, that's even getting more and more precarious. Um, but we're, you know, it's, it's all realizing that it, in some ways it is, you know, and I don't want to be cynical about it completely, but in some ways it is the double think double speak of 1984. And, uh, you know, I don't think there's someone pulling pulleys and plungers and things like that. I don't believe in conspiracy theories, but we but but we have seen how the system has created itself to protect itself and that not many of us feel like we have any power and and so we're kind of turning against each other and and needing a voice and trying to find a voice and a, certainly on the social media we're finding that um we have a voice and we're kind of it's it gets nasty out there yeah we don't know how to use it uh somebody was just telling me uh, about um uh Technology has always been 
embraced long before the cultural effects are ever considered, even from the effects of yep. automobiles on yep. the environment and everything, yep. just every step of the way we jump into the next great thing and we're not ready for how it changes the way we interact with uh, ourselves and those closest to us. Like what He brought up Michael Richards earlier. Yep. Um, we all say stupid shit <laughs> throughout our lives. We all say stupid shit in front of the ones closest to us that we love more than anything. The worst things we ever say uh, out loud come in front of yep. you know some of the people who are closest to us. And yet, but in the with the Michael Richards thing in uh, comedy clubs didn't used to always be on YouTube every time. So yep, yep. There, there, there's another aspect to that whole situation in that there's a generation of comedians who are used to that freedom there's that this is i'm going to react in the moment and i'm going to let anything out and there yep. is no filter and yep. whatever comes out comes out and yep. that was a sacred place there was a protection there because the people who were there saw it and, dealt no, with and it, no one and, else yep. and it, it blew up there and it lived and died yep, you know yep, yep. but now it's like the, the there's when there's cameras everywhere it, yep. it bec that becomes its own filter and prevents things from ever even occurring. Yeah, yeah, and it's 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 a it's a it's a great thing to talk about that we don't think about the consequences of this technology or any like you said any technology certainly and um and and how yeah that these comedy clubs used to be these kind of private intimate places where where you could Expose yourself, and at times not pleasantly, but it happened, and, and and maybe right, fifty people walked away, and then there'd be some stories about it or whatever. And maybe fights, maybe people get stabbed. I don't know what went down, but I mean, <laughs> right. it, it dealt with it. You know, it got to play out, not on an international scale. Yes, yes, <laughs> and, and then and then when it plays out on a on a international scale, it it just seems like it it kind of gets a momentum to it that. Is is larger than even the incident itself. Absolutely, and, yeah. And be, be, becomes uh, an example case used to silence other instances, and at large, just kind of distract the news that day away from all the other terrible shit that's going on. <laughs> totally. <laughs> that was we can many... focus on Michael Richards. Yeah, Michael Richards. and that, and that was kind of was part of my point last night on Facebook. But um, yeah. and 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 and. Um, the point about um, – oh, you just made another point. I totally spaced out. Um, that – okay. Oh, see there. It's all good. I oh, have that look. We got a call. Things. Yay. Hello? Hello? Who's this? This is Will in San Francisco. Hi, Will in San Francisco. Hey, Will. Howdy. What do you have to say? Well, I've been listening to and enjoying everything everyone has brought up. Uh, but the one thought that I keep coming back to through everything that's been transpiring and, and all of the empowerment that Twitter seems to give people is, when did everyone just become a mass group of over-opinionated assholes? <laughs> <laughs> We've all been taught that we have a right to have an opinion. That's the first problem. <laughs> You, you know, I think we've all been well. You know, I th and, and this may be the case is like you know we used to all go down to the the corner bar or whatever, and we'd have our opinions around two or three people, or there was always the one guy who was really opinionated at the bar or at church or something. And now, not only do those people get 
their acts, their voice out everywhere. But now everyone's been emboldened and given permission to speak their their opinion. <laughs> I, you know, and, and I don't mean to, to say people don't have a right to their opinion. We we all do, but I, I with Twitter and everything else, it's just like there are so many people that are just so passionate about theirs. They seem to forget that their opinion is still that's them that's their universe that's their yeah. world their perception and not everyone is going to agree yeah it, well it's it's a great point and and you know that the the thing about the most important thing about a democracy is that it is uh, you know, that, that many, many ideas are allowed to be voiced. That's why we have freedom of speech. And it's about the marketplace of ideas, ultimately, that then help the common, help the collective move towards some sort of consensus and, and move to solve the problems that the, the, the collective has. And, and yeah, I, I'm wondering if it's like, you know, I think, you know what I think part of it is, Will, is that, and I'm, I don't want to blame a generation, but, and I'm not blaming them, but I think because of the baby boom generation, because of the swing that this culture took to the I, me, the importance of the subjective experience, which is, which is essential and was really important. The culture needed that. We, we needed a, to be able to talk about our feelings and our experience and, and that I'm important and that I'm a victim and that I have rights. Those are all important things. But I think that is part of what has fed this is that the I has become holier than thou and that we have completely forgotten what it's like to be in a healthy relationship with each other and with the we. I don't think I could have said that any better myself. (laughs) Because it's true. And I mean, if you think about it, I mean, technology and this modern area. I mean, in 2007, I joined Twitter because I wanted to try and and find an iPhone, of all things. Because Mm. Twitter, you could get subscribed and it would also send you updates on like a collective list. Which was great. It was a bunch of people helping each other out. Look what it's become now. Uh, yes. Just, I'm, I'm just worried that, that years from now, we will be telling the young ones around the campfires how society devolved because of the evil bird. <laughs> <laughs> we, we all just tweeted ourselves out of understanding and all common it, you know, and this is this is such a beautiful point, Will, because um, this is where you know I was asking Jeff, the first caller, you know, where do we where do we draw the line in the sand? Where do we decide what's to tolerate and what's not to tolerate? And and I do think it is it is those of our job who believe that there is a collective and that we are here to work together and to be together. It is our job to always. To, to bring it back to that and to and to bring it back to lifting each other up and and reaching a hand out to our fellow man and and for me for the most part twitter has been that experience for me i tend to block the trolls i block the people that you know come after me and 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 same thing with facebook because you know i really believe that the only way we're going to f- get through the enormous problems that this planet faces is by us being able to look each other in the eye and saying, what can I do for you today? And, and, and how can I help you? 
Yeah, I, I, you're completely right. I mean, that, and really, I hope society is able to get its head out of its sometime soon and yeah. know that we need to help each other through all of this. Uh, whatever the this is yep. in reference to anything anyone's talking about. It, it, exactly. And, and I, you know, I truly believe that leaders in this century, that the, the people who have been traditionally our leaders, we've looked up to leaders of the church, leaders of our government, uh, leaders in institutions, those are the people that the last however many hundreds of years we've looked up to to guide us in our culture. That is no longer the case. Those institutions are being, are, are dissolving, are being transformed, what, however you, you, you see the big picture of that. And I really do believe that it is about citizen leaders now and that each of us have to stand up when we see a wrong or see something and, and lift each other up, you know, and not beat each other to the ground because we disagree with each other. But, you know, how, how do we find out, ex- you know, really what, what we need from each other. Definitely. So, Spreading the light rather than the darkness. Yeah, absolutely, yes. And and that's like, you know, that's like even with around this heckling issue here. You know, my question is to the to the people who are so offended by what these comics say, you know, I want to say to them, you know, what is it that you need? You know, what are you asking for from our culture? Are you asking to be protected everywhere you go and to never to, 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 to never, you know, to be, to never feel the victim or, or to never feel threatened. And, and how do you, what power do you have to change it? You know, like changing the channel or walking out or boycotting or writing a blog post about it. You know, I mean, more power to that person to, who, who wrote about it. Um, but, but telling someone else than that, that, you know, it's wrong always and that they're not human. And we were talking about it earlier, you know, how, when you apologize, when are you off the hook? <laughs> you know, if you really are truly apologizing and you really are uh, remorseful. Yeah, I and you know, in this in this day and age, things can carry on so long. You're never off the hook, no matter yeah. what you do. Yeah, because it's on the internet for now, forever. I, you know, personally, I think we just need to all relax. Political correctness has been driving me apeshit for years, mm-hmm. and you know. It, they're all just words, folks. Yeah. Okay? Yeah. And don't give them more power than you have to. Yeah. You know, and that was, I mean, that was the one thing that my father taught me very much about the power of words. And and it's oh. and it's okay to stand up for your rights and to feel protected. Your father had so many just quiet lessons he, <laughs> he did he did he did absolutely and 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 what i want to tell to people who who want to be politically correct and to pe- people who want to chill speech is i want to say that by shutting down the conversation you're not helping yourself you're not helping your position and you're actually going to make the the environment more hostile to you in the long run not to mention the adverse effect, the censorship that happens, because then you become afraid of what it is I can say. Yes, yes. And, and we know what chilling effect that has in any culture. Um, ideas then don't get thought and, um, you know, people go away to camps in, in the woods, the very cold woods. 
Um, and so there's got to be a different way than chilling people's speech to stand up for your rights, to uh, protect yourself, and and to fight the good fight for people who are oppressed and for people who have been shit on, you know, one way or another, whether it's, uh, you know, minorities, uh, gays, women, blacks, whatever it is, um, and whatever will be, that uh, there will always be someone who's oppressed and controlling speech. I, I don't think is necessarily the healthiest thing for our society. So I'm just always on the on the side of not chilling speech. Um, but you know, I'm I'm always first in line also to protect anyone who's being oppressed. So it's a fine line, definitely to watch. I agree. Well, thank you for your time, Kelly. I appreciate it. Well, thanks for calling. It was great to talk to you in uh, voice person. All righty. All righty. Bye. Bye. That was Will. He's from Smodcast. Oh, cool. Yeah, he. I was Smodcast was calling him like Smodcast is calling. Oh my God, is Kevin Smith calling me? Oh my God, it was Will. I love Will. He helps us run our little uh, live feed here and takes care of us at the Smodcast. He's a great guy and made some great points there too. And um, you know, it is. You know, it is about it's something about um, elevating our discourse again. How are we going to do this? Because certainly. <laughs> Well, it's our discourse and our action, like you're saying. Otherwise, we talk about it, and then when it comes time, we keep our tenure. Yeah, yeah, we keep our tenure. Yeah. What was that great um, uh, quote by um, a German Catholic priest? Um, I can't remember his name. Buber? No, it wasn't Martin Buber, was it? Anyone? Someone will tweet me and let me know. Um, but he talks about how, you know, they came for the... They came for the, the you know, not the Jews. You know, they, he went down the line. They came for the writers. They came for the gays. They came for the retarded. They came for the duh, duh, they came for the Catholics. And, you know, and he kept, they, we kept, they kept their mouths shut. Oh, well, they're not affecting me yet. So I'm just going to let them take that group of people away. Well, the minute you let any group of people go away, they're your next, trust me, you're somewhere on that list eventually. <laughs> Unless you're the guy writing the list, I'm guessing. Right. <laughs> <laughs> And then you're just the only one left. Yeah, yeah. And I guess that's kind of the point for some of these megalomaniac uh, power-hungry people is, it'll just be me. It hmm. is. Keep giving my space. <laughs> giving my room to breathe. Give me but. my room, but make sure you're around to feed me and do everything I need and make my automobiles. It's all very strange. Well, it's 624. Uh, this has been a great fun show. We're definitely going to do this again. This was way fun. I love talking to all of you people. And, um, and I think we kind of clarified some things today. I feel like we did, you know, we, we talked about, uh, this lack of forgiveness for each other after we've trespassed against. I do believe there was a wise man a few thousand years ago. Uh, a couple of thousand. A couple of thousand, yes. Uh, a couple of wise men who talk about, uh, f- uh, forgive us our trespasses as we trespass against, uh, however it goes. You know, it's that Lord's Prayer thing. You know me. I was not raised in the religion. I learned the Lord's Prayer because I went to AA meetings with my mother. Um, and, uh, and we also talked about doubt and that, you know, that feeling inside and, and how, and are we, did we do the wrong thing? Did we do the right thing? And how it can undermine actually a person perfectly good, wonderful person who's just trying to go out in the world and do their thing. And we talked about how how do we know what we're worth uh, to ourselves, to others, certainly out there in the marketplace, and especially when, you know, everyone on Twitter or people are on Twitter are willing to tell you that you're a piece of shit. Although I have lots of lovely Twitter people who tell me I'm fantastic. Just fantastic. 
even though I gained eight pounds in Scotland on sticky toffee pudding. By the way, sticky toffee pudding, people, all I know is Google it, get it. It's incredible. You too can gain eight pounds on it. And uh, so I think we're going to end here because we're going to play a little out song. Uh, Logan, thank you so much for joining us. Thank today. you. It was great hearing your voice and hearing your point of view. And thank thank all of my callers. I want to thank thank Jeff and Frandu and Andrew and Will. Um, and uh, won't be here next week. I know. <sighs> Again, really, Kelly? Yes, I'll be in San Francisco doing the set list. Uh, all of that. But then I'll be back. And let me tell you, I'm going to be back like all in August. You're going to get so fucking sick of me. Oh, of course, the week after I get back, I'm doing my show in Santa Monica. So it's my Thursday performance day. So I won't be. Okay. So in three weeks, I'll be back beginning of August. And all of August, I'll be here driving you crazy. We'll talk again. We'll have more call in. We'll do all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, I want to thank uh, everyone at Smodcast, including Kevin Smith and Will. That's Will Wilkins for all of you. I want to thank all of the Twitter people, everyone calling, everyone listening live today, and all of you who download always. Thank you so much. Love you all very, very much. And uh, we are going to end with another spanky song, you know, because why the fuck not, right? You know, so hold on. Oops, I got to go. Where am I going? Up. I'm going up. I'm going down. No, I'm going up. No, I want to go down. And I want to go down. Okay. And, you know, because we were talking about the depression, well, we're going to give you Spanky's version of Brother can you spare a dime? They used to tell me I was building a dream And so I followed the mall When there was earth to plow or guns to bear, I was always there, right there on the job. They used to tell me I was building a dream with peace and glory.
This has been a production of Smodco Internet Radio. Sir, only at Smodcast.com. <laughs>